Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to a strange, mysterious, and usually unusual podcast by the name of Cool of Discovery, the podcast where we celebrate Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I am still somehow here, 50 episodes on... What? As your host, Ed Pocock, and today I am joined, as always, by my dark amber twin from across the ocean. It is a certain Mr. Zach Armstrong. Hey, Zach, how you doing? It feels great. It feels great to hit uh, 50 episodes, Ed, especially when I didn't have to do the work for the first, like, 18. Do we feel wiser for it or or, or not? Uh, I feel, oh, maybe, maybe not wiser, maybe not wiser. We need, we need some more guests on before I feel wiser, but, um, yeah. Well, let's try and make it to a hundred. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And today, of course, we are joined once more by Justin, Justin from TTR, Tabletop Royale. Uh, how you doing, Justin? I am doing well. How about y'all? Not too bad. Not too bad absolutely uh it is a saturday night where i am and uh the the weekend still feels like it's ahead of me so um i i just want to get stuck in with this deck this deck is amazing there's so much to talk about here and spoiler alert listeners it's one of the first mass mutation decks that we have had on our deck discovery episode so first of all thank you justin for for bringing this deck on onto the onto the podcast and secondly could you please introduce it this deck is venus Ignashop from the engineer's haunt mm. it is a disuntamed logos deck it has dark amber vault and a lot of mutants it's got 10 mutants in it to go with that dark amber mm-hmm. vault so Spice. And for our uninitiated listeners that maybe have not come across the mysterious and elusive Dark Amber Vault yet, Dark Amber Vault is an artifact that can appear in, what is that? Any house. It is a location and it says, after you play a mutant creature, draw a card. Each friendly mutant creature gets plus two power. And it says, the the uh, the flavor text on this is rather nice, the vault opened and everything changed. And I feel like that's exactly what this card did to your SAS rating for this deck when uh, when it realized how many mutants were in it. So I think so. I, I love the art on Dark Amber Vault as well. That's one of the most beautiful pieces of art I think I've seen in Keyforge. I would love to see this on a playmat. It just reminds me of Christmas. Yeah, it's very Christmassy <laughs> with some evil mm-hmm. Dark Amber involved. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's evil. I don't know if it's evil or not. <laughs> Depends on who you ask, I think. It's all based uh, on perspective. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds um, like the ravings of the mad prophet Gizelhart to me. It does. <laughs> uh, so uh, we know that Dark Amber is uh, ostensibly the reason behind the mutations, the enhancements, the enhancements that are all over cards. And uh, of course, this is the first thing I tear open a mass mutation deck to check. Uh, how many enhancements do you have in this deck? And did they land anywhere spicy? So there are eight total enhancement icons on this deck. The one I think is the spiciest is an extra amber icon entered up on Ritual of Tognath. So Ritual of Tognath now provides four amber on play, which is very, very strong. Uh, There are a number of damage icons aside from that. There are one, two, three, four, five, six extra damage icons. Four of those ended up on Logos cards. So you can have some really interesting Logos turns where you're just playing cards with your hand and tossing out a lot of damage to, to plink off troublesome small creatures. Um, which can be very powerful. There's also mm. one extra amber enhancement that landed on standardized testing, which is pretty good. Nice. That is very good. That is very good. Now, is this one of the decks that you opened uh, for the Tournament of Champions? Sure is. Yep. Uh, all all 100 of the Mass decks that I own are currently in the Mass Tournament of Champions tournament. So we, nice. we do not have any extra decks this time around. Usually we'd collect some more from going to Vault Tours and such, but... That is not happening. Sure, sure. And uh, listeners, I uh, hope you listened to the previous episode where we went through the structure of the Tournament of Champions where Tabletop Royale, Justin and Nathan uh, pit 100 decks against each other until one remains all within the same set. Um, I dare, I must ask, because I actually uh, didn't look this up beforehand, how far has Venus Ignachop made it in that? Venus in the first round went 3-0 in its pot. It has not participated in a round two game yet, but we will see how it does. I am... I am optimistic about its chances in a mass mutation environment. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know that it'll win, but I think it has the tools to win. Sure. Sure. Now you mentioned that the tools to win in a mass mutation environment, uh, have you been able to take this against other sets? I know that was a, a lot of discussion we had last time about the tournament and decks do that would do well there might not necessarily do well against other sets. I have played it on TCO a good bit. Uh, it can, it can do well. It does poorly when a deck is faster than it. So mm. if uh, if there's a rush deck or if a deck has a lot of amber answers for big rush amber, it can it can struggle a bit. Uh however, it it can win games out of nowhere. It has two different key cheats in Key Frog and Obsidian Forge. So it can get some sneaky wins that way. Nice. Have you um just because this is one of those just pipe dream key forge achievements, have you ever forged two keys at once with key frog and obsidian forge? I have not. That would require eighteen amber and having key frog on the table and obsidian forge. It's just it's <laughs> a lot to set up. I haven't played enough games with it to to hit that dream. Okay. Okay. One day. But uh, yeah. just just let me know. I will definitely let you know. I'll clip it. Oh, I should also point out that this deck has the best record in our key forge gauntlet series, which if you don't know what that is. We created a curated gauntlet of Keyforge decks. There are five different Keyforge decks in the gauntlet that we tried to fit them in different types of archetypes of power level and different sets. So there, I, there are there's one coded deck, two no one world's collide deck. I should have this better prepared. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. There is there are two AOA decks. One coded deck, one world's collide deck, and we just introduced a mass mutation deck into it. So mm. various power levels among all four sets, and we take a deck through the gauntlet to sort of determine how it 
behaves against all different types of decks and different archetypes. We also try to represent each house a minimum of one time within mm. the gauntlet and I think a maximum of two times. So there's mm. a good amount of variety in them. The purpose of that is to determine strengths and weaknesses of the deck that is run through the gauntlet. And we've we've had a few streams that we've we've run decks through it. Venus Signature went four and one against the gauntlet, which is far and away the best record any deck has had in the gauntlet. Wow. The best before that was two and three. Uh, so. This this deck, looking at it on Dexter Keyforge, has a miraculous thirty one expected amber, which means that you go through this deck once. This is what Dex of Keyforge is expecting you to come out with, and you know as many Keyforge players find, you loop your decks. So breaking this deck down as to what makes this such a formidable deck, let's go full bouncing Death Clark here and talk about the roles that the different houses play. Um, so what what roles do the different houses play in this deck, Justin? I'm happy for you to start with whichever one comes comes most naturally. So the uh, the Logos artifacts are the, the crux of the deck. Mm. The Dark Amber Vault, the Auto Encoder. I try to aggressive aggressively mulligan for either one of those to start the game because uh without them the deck can sort of struggle as far as speed goes but with a dark amber vault or an auto cutter on the table you're left with so many more options during your turn the it tries to just generate amber as much as it possibly can while dealing with the board and cycling through its deck with auto encoder that's that's pretty much the main idea now the disc, you'll notice, has three essence scales, which My may goodness. seem like a lot, right? Sure. But they provide a really important utility when you're getting immediate use out of the creatures you're playing during your disc turns. Mm. So there's stuff like the Histrocogs, which aren't super imposing when you first see them, but they can get some value when you include all those random damage pips you have on Logos cards. There's, a, there's only one damage pip enhanced on... A, on a discard and it's on an essence scale so you can occasionally get that you can play your second your one of your second or third essence scale and use the one that's already on the board to activate a histrocog to remove a troublesome creature um the creatures that most often get sacrificed or used with essence scale are the the fiends like techno fiend yeah which get extra value if you have an auto encoder on the board for instance discard mm. a card from your hand so you get to archive a card then you draw a card uh, a lot of the time, after a Logos turn, you take a Dis turn, you can then use the Essence Scales to use your Logos creatures, and they're all very valuable. You have stuff like Dinobot, discard a card from your hand if you do draw a card, getting value off Auto Encoder. It cycles extremely well. It can be very, very fast. Absolutely. And I see that you've got a Key Frog here as well, which uh, is probably quite a nice target for those Essence Scales too. It is. I mean, that could just like forge a key out of nowhere. So if, once you play a Key Frog with this deck, the opponent usually tries to murder it immediately because they know if they let it come back to your turn, a lot of the time you can generate enough amber to immediately forge a key with it, especially if you have that ritual of Tognath. That makes it very easy to forge oh. a key with a key frog on the table. Yeah, that makes sense. My goodness. My goodness. And I'm seeing with the, that is really a lot of synergy with the auto encoder, like you mentioned. Uh, so many of those creatures having some way to discard a card from your hand, a Damobot doing it on Reap, Munchling on Fight, Nobu Dynamo at the beginning of your turn. That is that is just a lot of discarding Logos to get to archive more cards. Yep, exactly. And the other thing that this deck is sort of sneaky about is it has two marks of Dis. So during its its big bursty Dis turns, it can mark of Dis a, a suboptimal turn into the opponent. 
to sort of steal keys that way. A lot of the a lot of its wins are on the backs of marks of dis. Yeah, that makes sense. Mark of Dis being the, the spiritual successor to Control the Weak. Uh, Mark of Dis, uh, if you don't have it in front of you, it says, play, deal two damage to a creature. If it is not destroyed, its controller must choose that creature's house as their active house on the next turn. So Control the Weak, but with a um, with a clause that you have to meet with a creature being out and uh, living through the, the Mark of Dis there. But still, still immensely strong. Still immensely strong. One of its downsides is, is lack of amber control. Its biggest answer is the effervescent principle. Mm. It does have the tools to get back to that effervescent principle multiple times in a game, so it's got that going for it. Once again, it has to have its logos artifacts to function at that speed. So it can it can struggle against decks that are stealing or destroying its artifacts for sure. But uh, its main answers are the effervescent principle and then the mutants that have destroyed steel ones on them, and then the snurret. So aside from that, it can sort of struggle against other bursty decks. It can't. It doesn't do that good a job of stopping them. Sure. So truly a racing deck in the in the sense that it really does need to just go faster than the opponent, uh, yeah. throwing some pot shots with Mark of Dis when you can. In a tournament, this deck's games are going to end in ten minutes, one way or the other. <laughs> that's a that's a bonus. That's a bonus. I think it's good for the mental stability of your of your brain during a tournament for sure yeah now you've mentioned the centrality really of of these artifacts to making this deck really sing what happens if your opponent zach zach your opponent has a sneck lifter and maybe takes that dark amber vault or equivalent for their own i love sneck lifting you cry Right. Is your, that your, just an auto lose? Do you think? Or it's not. Is a, it, it's not uh, a loss. I think the game can definitely still win without Dark Amber Ball on the table. It's still got a lot of tools. Mm. It still has the essence scales. It's got a lot of artifacts in it that are scary. I mean, your opponent has a lot of stuff to answer, uh, and it, it can definitely win without without Dark Amber Vault. Auto encoder is probably more important than that. You do have a reclaimed by nature in the deck too to answer opposing artifacts. Sometimes you end up reclaimed by naturing your own essence scales to push that extra amber where you can reclaim by nature the one that has the damage pip on it to get a little bit of sneaky damage out. So that could sort of behave as both a removal of artifacts or as uh, a burst type of thing. But you can find ways to win without your important artifacts for sure. It's just a little bit, it makes the deck a little bit slower, a little bit harder to win with. Yeah, that's something I found with uh, some of my strongest mass mutation decks that rely a lot on their artifacts is that they have enough very good artifacts that taking one away uh, is bad, but they still have outs, which yeah. this deck definitely still has outs, even if one of them gets gets nabbed. Yeah, I think the central theme of the deck is is mutants and doing mutant stuff. So uh, the artifacts are a bonus to that. They obviously help you win faster and more efficiently, but you don't, you don't necessarily need them to win. Yeah, of course. And one creature that catches my eye right off the bat, just because they're so fun, is Fandangle, the three-powered... Uh, untamed witch mutant that says while you have four amber or more your non-untamed creatures interplay ready does this deck love a turn where a fandangle has lived and you're going into dis or logos or is it maybe not as great in this deck what deck does not love that it's a it's a great feeling uh there have been a few games where fandangle has lived into a turn where i was able to take a logos turn at four amber and just play a ton of mutants and draw cards and use all these mutant abilities and it's just at that point of the game your opponent they better have some sort of amazing answer to that turn or else they're going to be way too far behind. 
Wild Bounty. Now, this is an interesting card in Untamed. And, and listeners, this is the card. It's an action card. It's got two enhanced amber pips. So realistically, it's great just by itself. Uh, but it says play. The next time you play this card, uh, a card this turn, resolve each of its bonus icons an additional time. This can be hit or miss. Has this been a hit for you or has this been a miss? Wild Bounty deck. in this deck is mostly a miss. Uh, the best thing it did for the deck was put two Amber Pips on other cards. The mm. <laughs> the best thing it can hit is Troop Call. Troop Call is enhanced with an am- with a damage icon on it. So it, at Wild Bounty's best, it is playing a Troop Call for two Amber or two damage. Uh, the Troop Call doesn't really do anything on its own, though, because there's only one Niffle for the deck. So it's not, it's not great. There's a Lost in the Woods and Vault's Blessing... And reclaimed by nature are the only mm. other cards that can get value out of in the untamed side. Mm. So it's it's use it's best as a discard to auto encoder, honestly, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I suppose though it's a dust pixie just by its very nature without a body because of the those two lovely amber pips that come with it across the deck. Exactly. Yep. Mm. Which is not a bad thing. It just it just feels bad sometimes in the hand when you don't have a, a yeah. way to get value out of it or a auto encoder on the table. And, and, I, and I think just to accentuate that, according to decks of Keyforge, the win rate for Wild Bounty is higher than the win rate in Mass Mutations on average for, for any other card in your Untamed lineup. That's strange. Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it I, and, I, and I wonder how much our minds are skewed by, you know, when we see a card in hand, it's not necessarily just that card we're evaluating because it's it's enhanced other things in the deck. Um, but to what extent do our minds play tricks on us when we yeah. see it in our hand and we think, well, I can't do anything with this. It's a bad card. Because <laughs> how often do I win because of the one extra amber on my Ritual of Tognath, for instance? I mean, exactly. You can't really quantify that by looking at a Vault's Bounty in your hand or Wild, wild Bounty in your hand. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And this is where Keyforge really shines. I don't think there's any other game that can any other card game that can uh, can claim to to have that that kind of cognitive challenge I suppose to its name. Um listeners, uh if you think of any card games, I'm happy to be wrong. <laughs> also, if you don't play Keyforge, you should totally play Keyforge. <laughs> yeah. If you don't play Keyforge and you're here, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Oh. oh my goodness so what uh justin what does your what does your like a two minute archon card reading look like when you're playing venus Ignachop? you've mentioned this is a mutant heavy deck you've mentioned that other racing decks are the biggest threat so what are what are the what are you looking to uh what's your thought process when you look at an archon card when you're playing Ignachop? well i'm looking for answers to big amber so i'm looking for like too much to protect uh and interdimensional graph because this deck can very easily just go way too high and it actually has problems putting the brakes on so it that that can cause my play to be very awkward sometimes where i might have to like not play some actions or not do some reaps that i would otherwise do in a mass mutation versus mass mutation matchup so against older sets uh anything that would make me put the brakes on anything that would punish me for going too high is what i'm looking for for the most part and, and also artifact removal, I have to know what's going on. If there's a borrow, I have, might have to think twice about playing certain artifacts. Or if there's a neck lifter, like you said, I might have to think twice or have an answer ready for if they steal my auto encoder. What card, if you could pick one, would be the card that you feel has been the most impactful in this deck? 
probably the ritual of Tognath. It's mm. it allows for just such sudden burst out of nowhere. And it can it can make some really sneaky plays with the destroyed effects in the deck from the other mutants, the destroyed steel ones. So all of a sudden you have two destroyed destroyed steel one mutants and you play a ritual of Tognath, you just gain six amber soul to the, the opponent. So it, it can be pretty sneaky and good. And also with the key frog on the table, it can forge a key with that out of nowhere. So last time you were on, Justin, you mentioned your personal playstyle tends towards um, just pitching or playing cards and not holding on to them for a future turn. And we know that uh, with Auto Encoder in here, which lets you archive the top of the card of your deck whenever you discard a card from hand, that you can pitch those cards uh, pretty easily. You know, you've mentioned those the Troop Call or the Wild Bounty you often pitch just to get that top card archive. Um, but what cards if any, do you hold for a better turn if it's in-house? Or do you just never do that if you have auto-encoder out? So I, I do end up holding uh, Effervescent Principle in stack because it's so important mm-hmm. to just have it available to you at all times. Ideally, it's sitting in the archive, but sometimes uh, it's it's just ne- so necessary that you have to hold it. Also, Savage Clash is, uh, is very important in this deck. You can get behind on the board pretty easily because it's just how how little creatures you play. Although with Dark Amber Vault out, your mutants are so powerful that they can sort of do some fighting. But occasionally you need to just have that Savage Clash ready to deal with your opponent. So I suppose this deck might uh, get challenged a little bit by some of those mass mutations decks with huge boards then, because if unchallenged, those huge boards can kind of become their own rush. It can, and I mean, if, if a deck has enough creatures, then... You know, you can. This deck does not have enough creature control to deal with the opponent playing six creatures every turn, right? So, it can it can certainly struggle against that sort of strategy. I think too. Indeed, indeed. So when when tournaments reopen at some point in the future, and when you have the opportunity to take a deck like this to either a vault tour or hopefully a vault warrior, do you think this is the deck for you? Do you think this is a deck that? could have what it takes to to go the full way i think i think it does have what it takes to go the full way it would certainly depend on matchups pretty heavily and how i you know how i was drawing in that turn or in that during that tournament but that's any that's any keyforge tournament right i i think it's got the tools it's got what it takes to make it uh, as far as if i would take it or not it depends on how I was feeling and how I felt about the metas at the time. I don't think I would take it to Archon because just I, my Archon deck is already sealed in my heart as as light tasker since I won a tournament <laughs> with it. So I would I feel like I would be obligated to take that to a future Archon tournament. If it was Mass Mutation versus Mass Mutation, like Vault Warrior, for instance, I would I would strongly consider it taking Venus just because I've I've pl- probably played it the most out of all my Mass Mutation decks at this point. And I, I understand its strategy. It's a fun deck to play. And I think that's one of the most important things that you can do is bring a deck that you enjoy playing to a tournament. Mm, mm. I must say that changing meta of Vault Warrior with only rotation from the last three sets does excite me. I'm interested in seeing how that changes things. And I do wonder at some point whether Vault Tours might you know, feel forced to, to mix things up by adopting that similar approach as well and having a legacy format. I, to, I think, uh, I think uh, there would be there would be a group of players who would be very mad about that. Mm. Uh, but I I think it would be ultimately fine. Like I mean yeah. I don't really I don't really care. I, I like I like anything that shakes up a format. So I'm on board with it. Yeah, definitely. You can have both as well. You yeah, you could both. absolutely. Don't need to have one or the other. And uh, I think um, the 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 newer the newer format 
probably helps keep things fresh and also maybe on board newer players easier uh, with uh, can you imagine 10 years down the line every single uh, keyword that's ever been done needs to be learned goodness yeah. Yeah. Uh, for your first tournament that would be that would be a lot so justin i'm going to ask you our our most uh hmm central question i'll put it that way to to this these deck discovery episodes and that is what one card if you could pick any keyforge card on the planet to have in this deck what would that be and why oh, oh. any keyforge card on the planet that's tough um mm. so something, it, it, something that makes a difference yeah <laughs> <laughs> are we talking like legacy mavericks and stuff here yeah go for it yeah <laughs> be bold uh, hmm i mean i think i think it's too much to protect like anywhere in here would be great right so i, I that would have to be a maverick legacy not like yeah it would have to be maverick legacy yeah so not super likely that that would happen but some way to to deal with the opponent's burst or to make them put the brakes on a little bit some sort of check would be great interdimensional graft even would be fine which mm. would be a little easier because it would be a legacy yeah 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 and uh the, a deck like that could possibly exist it's unlikely to ever exist and this is the love of keyforge right but if it did that would be one bold deck. <laughs> yeah, it's out there somewhere. We just got to open it's it. It's true. It's true. That's a well. That's the beauty of it, though. If you take like uh, I remember after uh, Gasolina Maximiliano, uh, piloted by George Kegel, won two Vault Tours, people started looking in decks of Keyforge, right, saying, "Okay, how can I get close to what this deck has?" And mm. um, after just a handful of the key cards, uh, you run you run into zero decks like it, right? Which I suspect I suspect Venus would be relatively similar. There are decks that likely play similarly as far as rush with these houses in mass mutation, but there's still going to be enough variants that they're going to be pretty distinct. Every All time. you have to do is open up 36 billion decks and you'll get there eventually. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's as simple as that. It's as yeah. simple as that. Justin, once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, a real blast to just sit down and chat with you about Keyforge. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. So where can where can people find you if they don't already watch and listen to uh to TTR? At Tabletop Royale on Twitter, youtube.com slash tabletop royale, twitch.tv slash tabletop royale. Follow. Please, please subscribe, please follow. Uh that's we're all over the place. Tabletoproyale.com. We don't really update that website, but it's there. It's got links to our other stuff. <laughs> awesome awesome thanks and uh yeah i'm sure we'll have you back on in the future so it may be in another 50 episodes who oh, knows i could be on the Celebrate 100th episode the 100th yeah. yeah i know that would be that would be a bold no, statement, that's right? that's going to be our uh brad andre's rants about everything he couldn't rant about while he was at ffg <laughs> <laughs> oh come on zach we don't throw shade on this episode only oh, only very, very tiny hints of shade that people can uh, <laughs> can cling on to. Yes, or Dr. Garfield. I'll speak that into existence now, Dr. Garfield. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I do have Ooh. his email address. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at what stage does this conversation get creepy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, I think another conversation with uh, Brad would be unmatched. Oh, oh, dear. Oh wow, that was <laughs> that was a deep cut. Uh, that was a deep cut. 
and listeners, do go and check out uh, the uh, the game that Brad is now developing for, and that is Unmatched um, in more ways than one, I believe. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> thanks again, Justin. We're gonna we're gonna sign out now. Um, so you can find us, listener, everywhere, anywhere, um, and you know the places to be, the places that have been here, there, and elsewhere, and our lovely new swanky email address podcast at callofdiscovery.com what was that zach that is podcast at callofdiscovery.com oh that sounds good doesn't it and if you are willing and able to support us monetarily then you can do so via our patreon uh joining our patreon you can put your weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight and have a say in our future through our patreon only discord do let us know what you'd like to see more of and less of in future shows. And please, 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 please take five minutes to leave us a review. The more ornate, the more ludicrous the review, the better. We love it. But make sure it is either a five-star review or a one-star review, as we do not like mediocrity. And um, I think that's everything. Oh, no, the most important thing is always, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please do help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? I mean, a four-star review is fine. Like, really, that's okay. I'm okay with it.